0: You're listening to the Pop Tart Podcast. Girls, down. You already know.
1: I moved to New York because of your book.
2: People come up to me and they say, Your book changed my life. I say, You changed your life. Turn the lens of your imagination onto your life as it exists. Now you're going to dance barefoot to drum music. Hello,
1: hello, and welcome to Pop Tarts. <laughs> I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We're both editors of Bust Magazine in New York City. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today's guest is someone whose work has literally changed my life. Julia Cameron is known for helping readers around the world tap into their creativity. She is the best-selling author of more than 40 books – Most notably, The Artist's Way, A Spiritual Path to Higher Creativity, which has sold over five million copies since 1992, and her newest title, Seeking Wisdom, A Spiritual Path to Creative Connection, which comes out January 5th. In Seeking Wisdom, Cameron explains how cultivating a personal prayer practice can sustain creative growth in artists of all beliefs and backgrounds, and I cannot wait to her to talk to her all about it. Welcome, Julia Cameron, to our show! Yay!
2: Woo! It's
1: good to be here. Like I said, your book, The Artist's Way, changed my life just like it's changed so many other people's, and. You've been known as the queen of creativity for over 30 years. What can you tell me about your life and experiences leading up to the publication of The Artist's Way? What led you to that watershed moment?
2: Aha. I have a temper. (laughs) (laughs) And I felt that artists were being mistreated uh, and ill thought of. Uh, and that my experience was very different from the cultural norm of artists as tormented beings. Mm. Uh, So I thought, I'll just write something to help me and my friends. So I thought I was writing a book for about 10 people, not 5 million. (laughs) Uh, I wrote the book as a sort of manifesto. Uh, saying, here is what artists are really like, and here is how they should be treated. Uh, And that was what led up to the publication of the book. Uh, Before it was published formally by Tarcher, it was published uh, hand over hand uh, at a communist bookstore uh, (laughs) where we printed copies uh, and sold them by word of mouth, so it was a um, it was a watershed moment uh, when the book was picked up to be to be sold nationally. Uh, we were thrilled uh, and we were a little bit surprised. <laughs>
1: That sounds so much like the way Bust got started. Our magazine Bust started as something that was Xeroxed after hours at our boss's job at Nickelodeon, and they would Xerox it, and they hand-stapled every single one and delivered them to independent um, magazine stores in New York, and that's how our magazine got started too.
2: Aha. It's a good way to start something, to, to have a dream, uh, and to follow through on it despite the odds.
1: Exactly. You know, your your new book, Seeking Wisdom, it encourages readers to work with different kinds of prayers, like prayers of petition, prayers of gratitude, and prayers of creativity to help us focus and connect to our creative inspiration. But many people, and I think maybe especially rebellious creative type people, get very freaked out by anything that reminds them of organized religion. What, what do you have to say to those folks who maybe need some convincing to let their guards down when it comes to prayer, especially prayer used for this purpose?
2: Well, I want to say, boo! <laughs> 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 I, I want to say, uh, just bear with me for a moment, uh, and uh, let's not let your God concept, whatever it is, get in the way of something that is a wonderful creative tool. So I think uh, I bribed them. Um, I said to them, if you work with these tools, you're going to have a creative breakthrough. Uh, And people want a creative breakthrough. uh, And so they begin to experiment with the tools. Uh, And what happens when they experiment with the tools uh, is – that it's as if they have an inner shell um, Mm -hmm. that breaks open. Uh, And that's, um, so what I say to people who are atheist or agnostic is don't worry about it. Just try the exercises.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, You write so eloquently in Seeking Wisdom about how getting sober got you comfortable with communicating with your higher power. And then through that communication, you were led to teach and unblock others, which you've done, as we said, over 5 million times. I think anyone who has ever spent any time in rooms with other sober people or people trying to get sober probably recognized some of those basic frameworks in your writing all the way back to the artist's way. Uh, But by necessity, the sober community is generally kept out of the public media. So I was just wondering how did you negotiate your desire to apply sobriety principles to creative issues while also being respectful of the sobriety community?
2: Well, I think I've always been very careful around my anonymity. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've never said precisely how I got sober. Uh, mm-hmm. I said, I did get sober. I found a sober community. It was a tremendous help. And here are the tools that I learned from it, and here's how they apply to creativity. Uh, but I never said, oh, I'm a member of Creative Community X. Uh, Right. So I think I've always been just meticulous. Uh, And being meticulous, I've found that people uh, largely respect uh, the boundaries that I draw. Uh, And Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't had any trouble uh, with people saying, oh, tell us precisely.
1: Um. Something about your new book that I think fans of the artist's way like me will find especially interesting is that along with the tried and true creative maintenance tools you introduced and made famous 30 years ago, you've also added another helpful regular practice to this repertoire that has become so much a part of so many of your students' lives. For those listeners who are not familiar with Julia's tools, The original three are morning pages, which is writing three pages longhand every morning. I definitely did mine this morning. Um, Artist dates, which are weekly solo outings, which focus on fun and creativity and filling your creative well. And walks, and that that one's pretty self-explanatory. Can you fill our listeners in on your new tool, which is called Writing Out Guidance, and can you explain a bit about how it works?
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, what happened to me uh, when I got sober and I began to be guided into a prayer practice is that I found myself wanting a record of the prayer practice that I was doing. I would write, Dear God, please help me with X, uh, and I would hear an answer. Uh, and I found myself hungry to write the answer down, and this led me to a practice of Q and A, where I would write my morning pages for three days. Three, listen to me, three days. <laughs> yeah. That's how it sometimes, how it sometimes feels. Uh, yeah, three, three, three pages, uh, and then I would pose a question: What should I do about X? And then I would listen, uh, and I, I found that I was given some simple, direct, clear, encouraging answers. So I wrote them out uh, and saved them, uh, and that began a practice of prayer as a two-way street for me, where I would pray and the higher power would answer, uh, and I think— uh, that it's particularly important for artists to have this practice uh, because so many times uh, we're sort of stymied about what to do next. We, yes. we we feel we need guidance. We need inspiration. So when we say, what should I do next and listen, uh, we're given a cue or a, a clue uh and I ask people to experiment with this because uh it it's something that when it's explained uh invites skepticism, mm-hmm. but when it's practiced uh it invites encouragement,
1: yeah, you know what you're describing is you know to some people, especially those who have been indoctrinated in in um, organized religion, this idea of indwelling divinity, this idea that you don't need an intermediary between yourself and a higher power can be um, challenging for some, for many people, I think. And, and just the idea that you can access your higher power by listening intuitively to yourself. Um, I think it takes a, a pretty big leap of faith to listen to what comes up when you get quiet and then you have to kind of decide like, am I listening to directives from a power greater than myself? Or is this just like my reckless delusional mind spinning out? You know, like I think especially when you're trying to get a handle on it at the beginning, it can be very difficult to trust what it is that you're hearing. Do you have, well, do you have any uh, feedback on that?
2: I absolutely do. Uh I think, uh, we, we write a question, can I hear about X? Uh, and then we hear a response, uh, and we think, I'm not sure that's God. I think that's my imagination. <laughs> <laughs> but what I say to people then is, well, then your imagination is far more powerful and far more calm uh, and far less dramatic, uh, and far more enthusiastic and gentle, uh, than you'd previously thought. So if it's just your imagination, I say more power to it.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why, uh, interrogate it too closely? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mentioned in my introduction that your work has changed my life on actually more than one occasion. I've gone through The Artist's Way a few times since I first bought the book in the late 90s. It's one of the few books I've taken with me to every single apartment that I've lived in. And it it is actually the reason that I moved to New York 21 years ago to follow my dreams, because I, I went through the book and that was what I determined the, the exercise in, in the book were telling me to do. One of the most valuable parts of the book for me is that you ask readers to write out in just a whole bunch of different ways, variations on fundamental questions like, what do I want? What do I like? And what do my dreams and aspirations look like now? I noticed that that so many times these exercises have helped me get acquainted with my own mind. And they reminded me that I'm not the same person as I was the last time I checked in with myself. And, and I just, I realized I was pursuing goals that I didn't even really care to achieve anymore. Sometimes. Why do you think that it's so easy for some of us to lose track of where we're trying to go and what we'd most like to do? You would think that we would just have that in the forefront of our mind but a a lot of people like me really need to be asked those questions a lot of different ways again and again to find an answer.
2: Well, so your question is, can you tell me why we stray from the path of our dreams? Uh, And I, I think the answer is uh, that dreams are discouraged in our culture. Uh, We are, told certain things would make us happy. uh, And so we try to believe that those things would make us happy. Uh, And then uh, what we find is that we've ignored the little voice that says, but what if, but what if, but what if? Uh, And it's the, but what if I tried Uh, because what we need to do Uh, And I think uh, that our culture uh, discourages daring, Mm. and uh, this is something that you find at the magazine, uh, that uh, people who have the courage to follow their dreams uh, often have success, Uh, but it takes the courage to try.
1: I found that I definitely needed to summon courage to try and that still now I have trouble. Like I have a lot of good ideas and I'll, I will have the courage to start doing them. But as soon as I get an inkling that I'm not automatically good at whatever it is that I'm trying, that I, I have an idea of where I want to go, but I don't know how to get there. And that makes, makes me feel like a failure. I'm so tempted to turn back rather Mm -hmm. than confront that insecurity about whatever it is that I'm trying to do. How do you you overcome that hump to actually get something done?
2: This is where I begin to sound like a fanatic. (laughs) (laughs) Because what I say to people is try doing morning pages. That morning pages will encourage you to take risks uh, and... You'll be discouraged, and you'll say, I can't do that. That's too hard. That's too scary. I don't have the background for it. Uh, And the pages will persist. Try this. Uh, And what happens is you finally, just to hush the pages up, you say, oh, all right, I'll try. Uh, And trying often leads to success. Uh, there's another tool which I think is uh, potent. Uh, it's called Blasting Through Blocks, uh, and it's a tool that appears in the second half of the artist's way. Uh, and it, takes, uh, it says take a blank sheet of paper uh, and write down all your fears and all your angers uh, connected to the project that you're stalled on. And then share it with a trusted friend and then begin. Uh, and the and then begin becomes something simple, taking the first step. Uh, and as you take the first step, uh, the second step comes into view. <laughs> uh, so you're sort of led along a path uh, with little Breadcrumbs of success. hmm
1: And just even making the attempt, I can sometimes feel, I don't know if the word is decadent or indulgent, but how can we rise above just merely surviving as artists when life can feel so hard, like just to live and get by and be like independent adults?
2: I think that's what the whole book was about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think it's a broad question, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I think it has a, a pretty simple answer, uh, which is I want you to try the, the basic tools, uh, apply them, and pay attention to what happens. Uh, and I have had people uh, say to me, Julia, I'm a Jew and an atheist. Hardly, <laughs> hardly your target audience, but the book spoke to me, uh, and I—I I think the book does speak to people. Uh, and I—I think—I uh, think that's all I have to say on that question.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know it was a, it was a broad one. The most recent time I went through The Artist's Way was actually in the fall and winter of 2020. I started about seven months into the pandemic, and it was really helpful uh, in shaking me out of just the sheer terror and constant panic that I was experiencing during COVID lockdown here in New York City. At that time, I did all of my artist dates online online which was okay but not not great because I was just spending all of my time in front of the computer either working or doing the artist's way or doing my artist dates, and, like, it was all very, like, contained inside of my laptop. Now that we seem to be teetering on the precipice of possibly another round of COVID restrictions, like, I hope that that doesn't happen, but I am pretty concerned about it. Do you have any advice on adjusting your tools for the pandemic era when, like, sometimes we can't engage with culture
2: the way we normally would? Well, yes. Uh, I want to say first of all, you do your morning pages during lockdown, uh, mm-hmm. and private, and they're personal, uh, and they're helpful, uh, mm-hmm. and they're a daily practice. And then you have to look at your creativity around your artist dates. Ordinarily, in a perfect world, a pre-COVID world, uh, you would take an artist date outside of the house to do something that challenges your sense of safety uh, and gives you a sense of expansion and joy and delight. Now I'm saying do something within the house. And people will say, well, what can that be? Uh, And it can be something really simple like, okay, now you're going to take a bubble bath. (laughs)
0: I'm going to take a bubble bath.
2: Okay, now you paint your toenails and your fingernails scarlet. Okay, now you're going to dance barefoot to drum music okay, now you're going to listen to a podcast that you don't ordinarily listen to. Uh, and so you, you take uh, your imagination and you turn the lens of your imagination onto your life as it exists, uh, and you plan something uh, that's simple but delicious, like you make a pot of homemade soup. Mm, yeah, love this. That's a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful artist date.
1: As a creative person, I find that I'm almost exclusively attracted to other creative people as romantic partners. That's just how it's always been for me. But this can sometimes be a very complicated dynamic. I know that you were briefly married to director Martin Scorsese in the 1970s. You have a daughter together who's my age. Do you have any advice on how to navigate a partnership when both people require private artistic time in order to develop a practice and keep it alive, but they're in a a partnership together?
2: Well, I don't have uh, experience along these lines. You know, I was married to Marty uh, forty five years ago, a long time ago to bring it up, uh, and uh, I was madly in love. Uh, and I did everything I could to s- sacrifice my goals to to the priority of his goals. Uh, and I often say, well, if we had stayed married. There would be no artist's way. Mm, mm-hmm. So yeah. I, th- um, I think I have to say I have very limited experience with a long-term partnership. Uh, I have uh, I've been divorced twice, uh, and um, I don't. Regret either marriage or either divorce.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's what I
1: like to hear right now
0: as a current divorcee.
1: Yeah, Callie's going divorce, getting a divorce right now.
2: Oh, dear. (laughs)
1: That's why I'm in Maui. Got to make the most of it. I would like to know, Julia Cameron, are you a feminist?
2: Oh, I would say yes. Uh, I would, <laughs> would say uh, this has been true uh, since 1968 when I founded a feminist cell on Georgetown University campus, which was previously an all-male bastion. Uh, mm. And I was in the first group of women to ever graduate from Georgetown. Amazing. Uh, I, I think the answer is yes, I'm a feminist. But I also feel like uh, it's so deeply ingrained in me, Mm -hmm. uh, our equality, that I don't often think about it.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: You know, I I don't uh, carry a flag, uh, but I I do feel uh, that the dreams of women need to be taken just as seriously as the dreams of men. Uh, and I didn't have an experience of encouragement around this. Um, mm-hmm. When I went to Georgetown, I, I said, I want to be a writer. Uh, and I was told, oh, darling, <laughs> you'll be a wife. Men oh. are writers. Right. So I had to um, sort of muscle up some fire mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> to, to pursue my dream.
1: If I know that you say that that being a feminist is ingrained in you for such a long time. Would you say that your work was impacted by your feminism or maybe vice versa, that feminism like was it it, what your feminism was impacted by your work
2: well it depends on which area of work we're talking about i've written plays movies songs musicals poetry uh, and uh, some of those are more autobiographical than others Mm -hmm. right Uh, and uh, i would i would say my poetry is very autobiographical Uh, Mm -hmm. And uh, I have a website called JuliaCameronLive.com, which has my plays. Uh, I have a um, movie uh, posted on my website that people can see for fun and for free. Uh, And it's called God's Will. And God is an attractive red-haired lady golfer. (laughs) Uh, Of course. (laughs) I would say my feminism had everything to do with that film.
1: Yeah, I would say so too. I would like to know, what are your hopes and your dreams and your goals for 2022? What's in your morning pages and what's on your vision board when it comes to your plans for next year?
2: Well, right now I'm in between books. I just finished a book called "The Called Write for Life," uh, and uh, it's a gentle, direct, encouraging, hopeful book about writing. Uh, and I uh, finished it with a sense of relief uh, and felt like I've done something good for the world. Uh, and uh, that was a wonderful feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now I'm looking for what to write next. Yeah, and I have been writing a book on guidance, but I'm not convinced that I'm ever going to publish it. Oh. Mm, why? I just uh, I'm not sh- I'm not sure uh, is the answer to that question. It's just a hunch I have uh, that maybe this book is for my eyes only.
1: Mm, mm-hmm. I've yeah. been doing some writing like that too, where I, I feel like I might just be writing something for me. Yes. It happens sometimes. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, this is our last question, and it's the last question that we ask all of our guests on this show and it is a pop cultural question what you're watching when we say what you're watching we want to know about any pop culture that you're consuming books movies tv podcasts music music videos if you are consuming it pop culturally we would like to know what it is because it's probably very cool julia
2: cameron what you watching well, I don't watch TV at all. Mm-hmm. At all, uh, I I am sort of a deaf mute uh, when it, it comes to the internet. Uh, I I'm not a good pop culture person. Okay, uh, I I think. Uh, I think I am more of a tried-and-true person. Uh, I've been reading uh, Natalie Goldberg, whom you might know. Uh, Natalie wrote Writing Down the Bones, Mm -hmm. a wonderful book. Yeah, definitely. And she recently wrote a book called Three Simple Lines about haiku. Nice. Uh, so uh, I find myself going to Natalie's work, uh, which I've read before, uh, and reading it again and finding it refreshing. So Yeah, uh, definitely. So that's not, I don't think Na- Natalie would call herself pop culture either. books uh, still counts. it
0: books, books counts.
2: So I'm not sure I've answered that question in a very fulfilling way for you.
1: I I, I just want to know whatever books definitely count, and I'm definitely interested in what you're reading. So you definitely fulfilled the question. Thank you for entertaining it as someone who does not own a TV. (laughs) I appreciate it. You know, before we wrap up, I I feel like I don't want to get too fangirl with you. I'm sure this happens to you all the time that people – come up to you and just want to tell you what they did as a result of following your very gentle but clear instructions. Like I said at the beginning, um, I moved to New York because of your book. I wouldn't, I've wouldn't. i been working at Bust for 20 years. I would not work here without your book. And then just most recently, the time that I went through, I, I applied – for a grant for the very first time in my life, and I got it for Wonderful. for creative writing. I never even tried to get a grant before, and it was one of the most uh, exciting creative moments of validation that I've ever had. And I would not have applied if I wasn't doing the artist's way again. And I'm also, while I was doing the artist's way, I reached out to someone who is a screenwriter because I've always wanted to learn screenwriting and asked her if we could collaborate so I could learn. And now we're like in that tough middle part. Like I wrote, I wrote the treatment and now I'm trying to actually make it into a script. And I feel so self-conscious about the fact that I've never tried to do it before, but your book gave me the courage to keep, to keep trying. And I, I just am so Grateful to you, and I'm sure people tell you that all the time.
0: I want to read the script.
2: I'm mad. I didn't know you were writing a script. <laughs> <laughs> I think people come up to me and they say, "Your book changed my life," uh, mm-hmm. it's always the same sentence: "Your book changed my life," uh, and I say, "You changed your life." <laughs>
1: Yeah, but it's still emotional to meet you. And I'm so grateful that you came on our show. Thank
2: you. You're very welcome. This was awesome.
1: Yeah, we, we appreciate you so much. We're going to take the briefest of breaks. And then I'm going to ask Callie. And hopefully Callie's going to ask me, what you, what, you what you watching? What you watching? Before we get back to the show... I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via wolfyvibespublicity.com for details and quotes. And tell them that Pop-Tart sent you.
0: Essentially, I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious, and I knew would make great podcasts, and every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own thing. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kate Moldenhauer, the founder of More Banana Podcasts, a comedy podcast network entirely produced, hosted, and led by women. We have shows about politics. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. The when the Supreme Court put stuff on their calendar, they used the word docket.
1: So their Google calendar is a docket. Is a docket.
0: So technically,
1: I have a docket. You have a docket. We all have, we all docket. have a docket. Sex. Welcome to my vagina. I'm Jesse Karen. This is Rebecca Frank. What were ancient Greek dildos made of, Jesse? They were made of padded leather and, yep, anointed with olive oil. Yep. <laughs> Scams.
2: I'm Kayla I'm Rodney Smith. And, <laughs> and we, we love scams.
1: scams. She tells them she's a German Russian heiress and she seems like she has a lot of money and people buy it. That's yeah. basically what's happening.
2: So as soon as she got a loan, she would cash it as much as she could out before anybody caught on.
1: Which is so smart. I mean, <laughs> That's so <just> smart. Like, <laughs> I mean it's terrible, but like to take that money out immediately.
0: Because women are actually pretty versatile and funny. More Banana is a network of women's voices, unfiltered and uninterrupted. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts and learn about our growing roster of shows at morebanana.com. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four.
1: Hey, Pop-Tart listeners. Have you been trying to record your own podcast, but you keep getting bogged down by technical problems? Luscious Logan can take the raw recordings of your show, edit, and produce them to give them that rich, full body sound that you hear right now. If you have a deep need to express yourself and sound good in the process, reach Luscious Logan. LusciousLogan13 at gmail.com. That's lusciouslogan13 at gmail.com. If you want to have
2: that luscious sound.
1: we're back. Hey. Callie, I'm still in my feels about the fact that we talked to Julia Cameron. Julia Cameron's work means so much to me. I'm excited that we got to talk to her. Amazing. Amazing. That was a great And now it is the time of our show where I ask you because I gotta know and I want to know and I need to know and I simply must know. Callie, what you watching? Well, well, well unfortunately, a
0: lot of Golden Girls, because R.I.P. the Great, the GOAT, had a hit in the feels. When I found out, I just went, oh, no. And my sister was like, she was sitting next to me while I was working. And she's like, what happened? And I was like, I need to verify my sources. I need to verify my sources.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, God. So a lot of Golden Girls and a lot of Betty White tributes. I saw the Saturday uh, Saturday Night Live. They replayed um, where mm-hmm. she hosted, which was awesome. Did you see that? Yes, she's just a gem. <sighs> so I've been in my wow. Golden Girls feels, um, and then I um, aside from Golden Girls, I watched that movie Don't Look Up on Netflix that everybody's talking about. Did you see it yet?
1: Yeah. Did you? I haven't seen it, but I heard a lot of people like it. Did you like it?
0: I mean, I had. Read a lot of hype about it before I watched it, so I went in with a lot of expectations. It was It was good. It got a great message across about climate tra- change, and the acting is fucking phenomenal. It wasn't, like, the funniest thing I've ever seen, but it delivered its message, and it was very well, like, Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm not that big on him, but he was so fucking good in it. So the whole premise is that uh, Lee Capps, can we call it, I'm going to call him Lee Caps and uh, J-Law, <laughs> <Jennifer> Lawrence, <laughs> they're um, astronomers, and they find, well, she finds particularly, and then, of course, the world brings him in because they need a guy to show for news around. Um, they find a comet that's heading to Earth that's bigger than, um, that's, like, massive, and it's going to just destroy the whole planet. And they're trying to get people to take it seriously and no one seems to care. And, um, uh, Jennifer Lawrence is sort of like a Greta Thunberg. She has like no chill. She's just delivering the <laughs> message. Like she's getting pissed at people that aren't taking her seriously. Leonardo DiCaprio like loses his shit on a talk show. Like the talk show people are like, let's keep it light. Let's keep it fun. And they're like, we're going to die. <laughs> and nobody seems to like want to take them seriously at all and Meryl Streep is at her Streepiest um she plays um she's the president who's like based off Trump (laughs) and then the rest of the cast is just bonkers amazing it's Cate Blanchett Ariana Grande who's just basically spoofing herself like Every, uh, all the news just gets taken over with her love life, and nobody cares that the world's gonna die. Like, <laughs> is the Ariana Grande and then Timothée Chalamet, he's in it. Uh, he's in everything right now. He really is. He is. But I love that little dude and his cheekbones. <laughs> and then, uh, Chris Evans and Jonah Hill was really good in it. And I heard he, like, did a lot of improv on it. A lot of hmm. his lines were improv. I guess a lot of it, the, lines in the whole thing. Streep also did a lot of improv I read. Um, The best thing I saw was um, Jonah Hill, he he plays like the the son of Meryl Streep and he's like a pretentious little asshole. And um, he was on the Today Show and he was talking about how awesome it was working with Meryl Streep because she's the GOAT. And he just kept referring to her as the GOAT. And (laughs) Apparently Meryl Streep thought he was literally calling her a goat. <laughs> I wrote the quote down. He goes, and Meryl to me, she is the goat. She's the greatest of all time. Then today we were doing a press press conference and she was like, you know, and Jonah's so comfortable with me. He's been calling me a goat all week. <laughs> and I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> and then jennifer lawrence had to clear things up with meryl's dream and like explain what it meant um it was like <laughs> lawrence was like we just ho- offhandedly call meryl the goat we were doing a photo shoot and meryl said that's right just tell this old goat where to go <laughs> <laughs> and Jennifer was like she was so cool she wasn't even offended by it she was just like, I guess Tona Hill loves me so much he calls me a goat.
1: I do love goats, though. That's real.
0: I am obsessed with goats. You know, I just like hung out with all those goats at that goat farm in Polga. So I I, I, I have a big love for goats. So I guess I wouldn't be offended if someone called me a goat <laughs> Oh, my God. But that makes me love Meryl Streep so much more than she is just like, cool. You think I'm a goat? You call me a goat? I'll take it as endearment yeah oh my god um and then oh the power went out here on the day after New Year's. oh new year's happy new year's yeah you too baby did you see andy cohen
1: <laughs> i did i saw it in real time i saw andy cohen just go ham on de blasio like at midnight when the the changing of the guard happened for the new york mayor
0: oh my god he got in. he got in trouble i don't think he's gonna be able to host again Really? Mhm. <laughs> well, he talks shit on a lot of people. He he just really let it all go loose.
2: <laughs> it he was extraordinarily
0: it loose. loose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um what was so the power was out and so I put on a podcast um for my dad and my sister, you know, I like that um all fantasy everything podcast. That's yeah. the, um where they like Compare, it's like fantasy football, but there'll be random things and everybody picks their favorite randoms. And in this one, it was Replace a Role with Nicolas Cage. Ah. First off, they talk way too much at the beginning of this podcast. They just need to get right to the juice. But when they got to the juice, they were, one of the roles that was being replaced with Nicolas Cage was the tornado from Twister. (laughs) (laughs) like an actual tornado one of them did a really good Nicolas cage voice and he's like i'm gonna get this goat it was a goat again <laughs> i'm almost gonna pick up this goat <laughs> and they were saying that like it would be one of those things where if you put pause it right at a certain time you would see his face in the tornado but other
1: than that you would never know it was
0: him he's a method actor you would never know you would never know. And another one was replacing John Travolta in face-off with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> but it would be like they weren't twins. They just looked exactly the same, and then they switched the same faces.
1: <laughs> What's the point, honestly? Oh, my God. I was dying. But Callie, if you were going to replace somebody in a movie with Nicolas Cage, who would it be? Oh, my God, man. Um
0: there's so many good things that it could be. Oh, what about Tommy with Zoe from The Room?
1: Oh god. <laughs> oh, hi- oh hi, Mark. <laughs> Who would you replace? I the the first thing I thought of was I watch um the giant Cecil B. DeMille Ten Commandments every year for Passover, and I would <laughs> oh, I would god, switch god. out Charlton Heston with, with um with Nicholas Cage as Moses and watch him. Part the Red Sea. <laughs> oh my God, it's a really fun game to think of.
0: It is but like it sort of reminded me of. I don't know if I've ever played this game I made up with you. It's called um, what is it? Uh, nipple Piece Theater. <laughs> <laughs> we would just replace words and movie titles with nipple, like uh-huh. the hand that rocks the nipple, or <laughs> um, don't tell mom the nipple sitter's dead. <laughs> 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 no nipple for old men. Uh, <laughs> I could play that game forever. And then we we played it so long that if somebody said something a movie title twice they had to reenact a scene from the movie with their nipple. Oh, and no. one. Heather, my friend Heather Loop had done Jurassic nipple. And so <laughs> she put a glass of water on the table. <laughs> Just
1: <laughs> down to, to make it shake Kelly your friends always have their tits out first of all A first of all A yes second of all B the, the things that they do with their tits once they are out are always unexpected and sometimes alarming but usually amusing
0: yes I like a good laughing nipple <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so anyway, if you ever need a, if you're ever bored, you can always play nipple piece theater. It never gets Uh old. And then the last thing I was watching, well, mostly, you know, I'm still at my parents' house on the recalibration tour. So it's just been a lot of SVU and the office because there's no cable. But, um, I did watch with my mom, the show, that's my jam, which is, um, Jimmy Fallon hosts it. I'm not a big Jimmy Fallon fan.
1: Yeah, he's too sycophantic.
0: What's sycophantic?
1: (laughs) He's just, like, too much of a super fan and, like, up everybody's crack all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Completely. But it's like a game
0: where it's one of those music games and they give you, like, music challenges. And it's all celebrities. And uh, Chance, the rapper, was on, and one of the things was it was like a mashup where it's a music genre and then a song from a different genre, and you have to sing it in that style, which has been done before. But um, Chance, Chance the rapper, did a country version of Nelly's "It's Getting Hot in Here," and it was <laughs> so good. He really had like the country twang on it. It mm. was—I bet it hits the radios. It was—I was obsessed.
1: It was so good. And that's, that's pretty much what I've been watching. What have you been watching? Thank you so much for asking. You know, these things that I've been watching were all consumed whilst I was isolating with COVID. I had the shittiest holidays of all time. I was confined to my bedroom, which is only the width of my bed for 10 days. Um, you know, they switched it from 10 days to five days in the midst of my isolation, but that was only if you were asymptomatic and my symptoms kept coming back. So I was in my bed for 10 days.
0: And Not for nothing, during, but five days doesn't even seem long enough.
1: No, I don't think so. I think it's just to because we're in late stage capitalism. I don't think it's real. <laughs> exactly. You would think that spending 10 days in bed, I would watch an extraordinary amount of TV, However, I did not. I did not want to. I was just not feeling it. Um so the first thing I did is I started reading um on Audible, so that's actually listening, not reading. But I was listening to the audiobook of Ioaday on Top read by the author Richard Ioaday. I don't know if you know him, but he is a British comic actor. He's so cute, he's so funny, he's so super weird. He has such a funny little like British nasal voice that um, makes me feel feelings in my bathing suit area. <laughs> he was reading his own book. Um, most pe- people I think would recognize him from the IT crowd. But um, anyway, he has this book. It's called It's called Iowa Day on Top. And I did not actually know what it was about. When I downloaded it, I just knew that it was him, and that I have a boner for him, and that's why I wanted to listen to it. But it's so funny and weird. It's a giant, sort of like very in-depth, funny, weird, bizarre. Um, how do I exploration of a terrible movie from 2003 called View from the Top, starring Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> Wait, it's a book about <laughs> every yeah a it's like an academic treatise on view from the top and i mean he he like weaves in other um parts of his life and biography and like funny anecdotes but the the basis of the book is his um his scrutinizing the film view from the top. I haven't actually listened to the whole book yet because, you know, I, I listened for like somewhere between half an hour and an hour. And I was like, I cannot listen to a single minute more of this before I watch view from the top. So I stopped the, the audio and I found view from the top on HBO max. (laughs) And like I said that it's super terrible, but that's sort of a, there are a lot of things to recommend it. It's actually sort of something interesting. It's sexist and weird and gross in a lot of ways, but um you know it's also like vaguely sort of sideways feminist and like a in like a legally blonde kind of way a little bit. but um, like I said, it was made in two thousand three, so that's like just just newly blossoming Paltro uh-huh. and the cast for. A silly movie about Gwyneth Paltrow dreaming about becoming a flight attendant. F- considering that's the whole plot. Gwyneth Paltrow wants to be a flight attendant. That's the plot. That's the whole thing. <laughs> so, but the cast, so obviously it stars Gwyneth Paltrow, um, co-stars Christina Applegate, Candace Bergen, Mark Ruffalo, Rob Lowe, Mike Myers, well. Kelly Preston. Like there's... There's a ton of people in this movie and um, it's campy and there's a lot of cute fashions and it's weird. Um, But I would say that it is distinctly, you know, there's a lot of girl on girl crime in it. And like, it's about like a single independent woman who's like going for it and pursuing her dreams despite all odds and overcoming all obstacles. But like, in classic rom-com form, like, a cute boy shows up and she's like, eh, never mind. <laughs>
0: never mind. I'm not going to be a flight attendant now.
1: You know, I'm not going to, like, totally spoiler it, but, um, you know, it happens in a lot of rom-coms where oh. women are, like, totally driven to make their dreams come true until, like, a cute piece of ass shows up and they're like, eh. The vagina um, takes over. <laughs> yeah, women no get victimized. Yeah. Um, so I I started listening to Iowa Day on top and then I switched over and I watched View from the Top and it was entertaining. Like it wasn't torture. I enjoyed the film, but it's, you know, it's not cool. <laughs> it's not right. It's not right, but it's okay. You, <laughs> and then for the first time in this whole year, like for some reason, sometimes it is challenging for me to read paper books like in my hand like often it is easier for me to read on screen sometimes like my eye bounces around on paper pages in sort of a weird way um and so i didn't actually read this in print but i i did read a print book on my phone and that was bad behavior by mary gateskill um it is a short story collection that was published in 1988, and I think the reason that this short story collection is most famous is because it contains the short story of Secretary, which became that famous movie with James Bader and Maggie Gyllenhaal. Um, so the original short right. story that that movie is based on is in this collection, and I was shocked i tell you shocked to actually read the source material for that film cuz that film i always found very fun and flirty and sexy and dirty and weird but um and the very beginning of that film very closely mirrors the short story but where they diverge is that like the interaction between the secretary and her boss like basically creates like a like a mental health crisis like she is assaulted by him And she is not okay. And yeah, it, you know, she has. So it is not a sexy, sexy book. You know, like they took, they took like a, whoever they is. I don't know how deeply Mary Gateskill was involved in the adaptation. And, you know, Mary's got to get paid. I get it. But like the story was about like the non, you know, like the gray area after an assault and how like, how there's so many different complicated feelings that can come up in regards to that. You know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of nuance to the short story and it was essentially a very sad story about a woman having her agency just like ripped out from under her. Um, So the the fact that they turned that into like a sexy bondage romp is disturbing. (laughs) And I didn't, I didn't know that that was the case until I read this book. Um, I haven't
0: seen the secretary, but I feel like I pictured the cover or the, the movie poster in my mind. And then she was like, you know, a, a sexy dress crawling under a desk or something. Probably. Sounds about right. I may be thinking of the wrong. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I never watched it because I was like, well, uh, it seemed like one of those. um, What's that <sighs> bondage or that? um, That fucking. Book to movie thing where that it was all about that guy that was like the Dom. Oh, Fifty Shades
1: of Grey. And it, yeah, it gave me Fifty Shades vibes. Not really. It's much better than that. But, um, okay. But still. <laughs> I never saw that either. <laughs> Once again, it's not right, but it's okay. <laughs> the theme was. That's my theme of all the things that I've watched. Yeah, I, I really recommend the book. I thought it was great. And um, it had a lot of stuff about sex work. It had a lot of stuff about BDSM. It had a lot to do with female psychology. Um, and there was also a lot about, like, the complexity of female friendships, which I really enjoyed as well. Bad Behavior, Mary Gates Guild, published in 1988. Still good today. And of course, the last thing that I've been watching is the Majestic Pop-Tarts Patreon page. We really need everyone's help to keep Bust alive and thriving, and hopefully you will be excited by the goodies that we have collected for Pop-Tarts listeners at patreon.com slash Podcast. Callie and I, with help from Team Bust, have been typing up show notes exclusively for Patreon donors that include links to what everyone has been watching for all 122 episodes. We've got totally ad-free episodes available. There's exclusive content on there, including our amazing episode with Big Frida and so much more. Please check it out at patreon.com slash poptartspodcast. Please and thank you. <laughs> and now I would, of course, like to thank our luscious producer and sound engineer, Logan Del Fuego. <sighs> Muy caliente, Logan. And our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rams and on Instagram at Rams Emily, but you cannot find Callie on social meds. So don't try. Nope. Get off my yard. <laughs> <laughs> but you can email us both. I'm at Rams at bust.com. W at Bust.com. And you can learn more about this show at Bust.com slash Pop-Tarts. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get the word out, and we super-duper appreciate it. Until next time. Mm -hmm. (mwah) (laughs) That was in tandem. (laughs)